Welcome to Sonic Talk number 292. We're back again. Sorry about the last week's uh, delay, the, the, uh, the lack of live show. It's um, The interview with Jordan just came up and it seemed like a good Sonic Talk and I just suddenly thought, you know what, I've got so much to do just to sort out little tweaks and niggles and things with the uh, new site design. I figured it was probably best to get that stuff going um, rather than um, rather than do the show. So I hope nobody was put out and I'm sorry if, uh, if anybody got up early for that. So... Uh, or, you know, rushed about. So, I'm ve- But anyway, we're back once again. Sonic Talk number 292. Uh, of course, I'm Nick Bat, editor of Sonic State. Uh, we're live, in case you've ever wondered what that means. Uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live. Bit harder to find on the new site. I've got to get a kind of timed poster frame, you know, to go in, in all the carousels. I'm going to sort out that. That's one thing that I haven't got done yet. But I do have a couple of guests with me. I'll switch to them as a sort of uh, a two-shot. There we go. We'll start with... Um, I think we'll start with Mark there. Mark over there, uh, over in um, uh, in the east of the country. Maybe your lower third there, likebeing.com. I thought, in fact, you wanted it to be Neowals, didn't you? Because I, I I did check out some of your brother's uh, thing, yeah. music. He's doing He's... another show in Hoxton next week, I think, on Tuesday night. Definitely worth going to. Yeah, yeah. no, it's pretty cool. I don't suppose you could tilt your um, laptop forward a bit just so that your head's slightly nearer the top of the screen that's perfect thank you very much anyway mark thank you for joining us anyway that was uh i'm I'm glad you're here i was getting a little bit nervous there i know me and gaz could obviously just about hold it together obviously uh we've had practice with sonic touch we can talk for minutes on (laughs) a variety of uh, nods we'd be probably i wonder if we could go on just a minute that bbc uh program where you have to talk although it would mean without repetition or deviation that'd be tricky wouldn't it Ah. Not so easy. Anyway, Gaz, yeah. Gaz Williams right there. Um, oh. Your lower third. No, that's not you, is it? This is you. <laughs> uh, Gaz Goldstar. In fact, at, uh, it's in fact uh, songsurgeon.co.uk again, isn't it? Because uh, um, you've got the site back up again. Yes. Hello. Limp- oh, yeah. Uh, not, in- not impressed with it, though. Ah, <clears throat> it looks good. It, I didn't have a problem with it. Maybe it's your internet oh. connection, mate. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think it might be. Anyway, um, let's... Let's get on. Um, we've, got, we've got a few things to cover this week, um, so we'll start with a little bit of this. Assuming it works. This is obviously, uh, it's not new, but Rich, funnily enough, Rich Hilton posted this, and it's obviously only just we come into public consciousness, the new We knew desk. that what we wanted to do was enable the musician, who is not necessarily a skilled live sound person, the ability to get great live mixes any place they played. We knew this was going to require some thought. It was going to require a new way of interacting between the musician and the mixer. The mixer would basically have to become smart. It would have to have a ton of DSP in the box to be flexible and powerful. It'd have to be all metal, so you didn't have to worry about it falling apart. It'd have to sound great. It'd have to be able to record. It'd have to be able to help you with a sound check. All sorts of stuff. Yeah, all those things. So that's the the Line 6 M20D, which actually we, I did review, so I can talk with some authority on this. I know, Gaz, you were quite sort of thrilled at the idea of this, uh, um, the, the Line 6 M20D. I mean, oh, for, first of yeah. all, though, I mean, it really is just a completely different paradigm for mixing, right? Mm. What is it that thrills you about that? <laughs> I think that, partly. But I think that, you know, I think it's very brave of them to do this and to put out a product that really is, a you know, as you say, a new paradigm. But uh, I think it, it really ties in with lots of things that I'm really into, which is this idea of making things appeal to the left, the left brain rather than the right brain. And so they've gone to great sort of design. I mean, the, the, the extent of the design on that is very, very interesting because it's, it really is all about that kind of thought process. You know, um, the traditional mixing desk, uses lots of sort of left brain uh you know and and it does get very confusing so to be able to try and work out a a workflow which is all based around the the uh, the right brain i think is amazing i think for me that's that's hugely important and i want to see that in a recording situation but that desk i want to try it out because you can just record straight you can capture every single channel onto an sd card that's you know built into it as well so yeah, in terms or, of, or a usb port yeah or a usb port yeah but i think just the fact that with the card in there there is a standalone recorder that is very very, very simple 
the only thing that would just stop, stop me getting one, to be absolutely honest, is that the recording side of things isn't quite fully featured enough. And also, I just don't know what the preamps are like. Uh, so that's what I'd like to find out. Well, I can it's... tell you a little bit about this. Um, oh. the record, I mean, I'm not sure what you mean by the recording um, features. Uh, well, I mean, I'd like 96K for a start, I think. Uh, right. I think limited yeah. to, it does do 24-bit, though, does it? Uh, that is a very good question. I'm afraid I don't have the answer to that. I would imagine it's probably 24-bit, but... Uh, yeah. Turbo Mega Brain! Yeah, the chat room may know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, that's terrible. I haven't reviewed it. I wasn't really kind of thinking about it from a recording specifications right. point of view, but... Uh, but can I just say a few more things why, why, I would be very, why something like that is very appealing? Partly because I, I've got various kind of things that I do in my work like for instance i you know i sometimes do workshops with kids and that kind of simplicity i think would be very appealing with children because they would all completely understand it as well because they don't have the the legacy of the old way of doing it so you know i i i think that that that's quite appealing um and uh and it's colorful you know hooray it's pretty Colors, hooray. yeah I, I mean i must admit i did think i there's things it's got in its favour. It sounds good, uh, and it's got quite a lot of processing on board. So it can, and it's it, it it is simple to use to a degree. Though the problem that I have with it is that it's still, you know, it's assuming assuming you've never even seen a mixing desk before, and you don't have any kind of idea about how to use one, and, and therefore no preconceived ideas or routines. It's great, but if you have and you're talking live sound, there are certain things yeah. on it that need, really needed to be addressed. You know, like quick switching of muting, those sort of things were yes. were were things that kind of I had problematic. You know, everything was a heartbeat further away instinctively than I'm used to for a live sound. I think that's fairly critical. So, uh, that, so I couldn't quite get my head around the fact that uh, there's this fantastically complicated piece of equipment that's got all these memories and recall and stuff. Yeah, but they've set it up so that you set it and forget it. So it just sort of feels a bit. At odds with itself from that point I, of view. They, I mean, they, you know, part of the marketing is saying it's more, of, it's more for like musicians to kind of get their own sound and go on stage and play as opposed to the sound guy operating the desk. And that's a big, I think that's a big difference really that you have to bear in mind with it. And it's kind of designed in such a way that you can just reach over and just make a very quick adjustment without being particularly confused, you know, I think... Uh, I, but you've used it and I've not, so I'm I'm yeah. really keen to know. <laughs> well, I, I I mean there are I think the danger with all of this stuff is you know when you're you're completely sweeping away the paradigm and trying something completely new, then you know you what do you do? Do you do you include the legacy of sort of all of those years of use and knowledge and setup, or do you start from scratch? And that's the trick. Yeah. You know that's tricky. I think yeah. they've perhaps gone a little bit too far. I don't know, Mark. What do you think? Is this the sort of thing that appeals to you? Um. No, because I'm a sound engineer, and then that would completely take my job out of the loop, wouldn't it? Well, it, do, it doesn't take it but, out but of yes, the loop. Yes, because but. I'm a sound engineer, and it's brilliant, and it's execution and what it does. It's brilliant. So uh, does it appeal to me? It appeals to... If I, could, if I could rewind 30 years and be in a band and, and, and have somebody you know, on the front of the house, and you're sort of like going, what does it sound like, and you don't quite trust them, there's something about the, the idea that you can connect, as far as I could make out, you can connect as many iPads to it as you want, right? I think so. I, unfortunately, so I didn't have the wireless of, so dongle, so just, I couldn't test it. You could do a sound check, you could record a song, every member of the band could walk out into the audience and wander around the audience with their iPad and tweak yeah. their part in, in context with everyone else's parts, and then everybody could sort of stand and go, hey, well, this is what Chaos. we really sound like. Chaos. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, it could be chaos, but it, I mean, they're going to have to work out a way of managing that. But, um, well, I mean, there, there are one thing that bands want to know. They want to know what yeah. they sound like. Front well, of there's, house. There are, I've got two. I've got two points to make here, right? Yeah. This is not geared up for the sort of venue. It's geared up for the sort of smallish band who haven't got a front of house engineer, so they're not going to be playing a stadium. So basically, them walking out front when the place is empty and them not actually making a racket on stage is going to sound absolutely nothing like what they play like in a gig because you're not going to get any of that stuff coming at you from the volume coming off the stage. So that's a bit of a fallacy. You know, it's that whole thing of like, well, the monitors sound crap. Yeah, okay. You know, so yes, a, a beautiful idea, and that really works from a kind of um, 
a digi-design venue point of view, when you're in a big stadium and just the band playing, yeah, that you know, and you can fire the monitors up, but literally whether the guy's on drums, you know, 200 feet away or not, is not going to make that much difference to the overall sound of the system. Whereas in the sort of venue this is likely to be used in, it's going to be a completely different picture when there's when there's people in the in the place. Uh, yeah, and I mean, in a way, yeah. part of their part of their design it actually includes a speaker system as well. And like that, yeah, I, the, there's, they've got these. Uh, that's kind of interesting. That. These the, yeah. the stage source stuff, but yes, but um, and that's fine. But all I'm saying is, it seems to me that. Um, you know, there's, this is it's not an it's not a cheap system. You know, it's a couple of well, thousand they quid. Sell, they need to sell a virtual crowd with it as well, then, don't they? Like a massive roll of human flesh that they can <laughs> just roll out into the venue. And then, then you know, you know, they have to have for variables, don't they? Have like wobbly parts for the drunk people, and then really well, that, that, what they need is a solid parts for the people that never dance. They need the pub shuts button, don't they? <laughs> So you press the button and it automatically pre-EQs the entire system to sound like it would do when the room is full of people, it's hot, and it blasts a load of really badly EQ'd and stuff stuff uh, into the monitors at the same time. So when you come back, you know, it kills the mics, but it throws all this lumpy audio out onto the stage and the front of house, and then so you can more or less hear what it's like. <laughs> And maybe they should go around and sample all the sort of mid-range venues, and I don't even know what they're called anymore. But you know, uh, any a- venue, any venue that has more than five hundred people in it uh, in Britain, that's a regular venue, and America, of course. Sorry, and um, they go and do all the clubs and pubs, and then they have those in there as presets. So you <laughs> set it up for that empty room, and then yeah. you press a button, and it changes, and it's perfect. I imagine that might add to the R&D costs considerably, but yeah, you, you have a point. You have a point. Well, maybe see- they make that a function so that bands can then, you know, I mean, you know, like they do with Guitar Port online, where people can uh, kind of emulate the sound of, uh, I don't know, the guitar sound from Killing Jokes Requiem. Somebody does that and then they post that up and then everyone else can download it and put it in their Line 6 pod X whatever the hell they are at now, X97 yeah. or whatever. They could do that with room EQs as well, couldn't they? They could have some kind they of... They could. There, is, there are... No, I mean, the, the, other, the other thing that I have about the, this desk, the thing about a, a mixing desk of any, you know, any co- medium cost is you've got all these routing possibilities. You can do clever stuff with things. So you can go, oh, I oh. need to do this right. I'll, if I route this back into itself or whatever, you know, you've got a load of different ways that you can configure it to solve most problems. The can, thing about the say, M20, it doesn't. Sorry, get gas. Well, yeah. But for me, the pros for the kind of bands that I'm in so outweigh any of the negatives by a massive I degree. Think so too. And Thanks. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you an example now. I'm, I'm just imagining I had the whole rig. Line six, if you're listening, send one over. I'll, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but if I had the whole rig, and I turn up a lot of the venues, I turn up at, I don't like the PA systems in there. I often don't even like the PA guy that much if they're <laughs> kind of one of these people who just kind of, you know, it's just an everyday... Blah, blah, blah. I own this building, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I've been uh, there. I love the idea of bringing your own monitor rig and using that as a monitor controller, you know. And then, you know, and then you can just kind of pretty much submix yourself and just give him front of house a stereo mix. You know, and then you, you know, and you're all in charge of your monitor mix. Man, I tell you what, that would be mind blowing because that's when the musicians just kind of go to the magic, the magic zone. When everyone can hear each other and you're in that brilliant thing, you can get to the magic zone. But it's hard, hard work when you're not at that level and you've got your monitor mix. I, I mean, I've done those gigs and it's amazing. But like a lot of the gigs you're doing, you're just fighting a battle just to hear yourself, you know, just want to hear yourself and, you know, to take that rig and one of those speakers each. Okay, it's quite expensive, but like you just do your own thing. Yeah, and, and uh, you also don't have a really loud drummer or a guitarist that has to have his Marshall turned up to 10 to make sure he gets exactly the well, sound he wants. I, but this is I the mean, thing, there, though, there are see. physical limitations to these <laughs> things, no, no, aren't there? That's Nick, not going to solve those problems. Ah, no, but Nick, this is, I'm ta- talking about if it belonged to the band and the band are used to using it, so they've got their own level. They, they can kind of 
create their own sound anywhere. Yeah, but the guy with the guitar rig's always going to turn it up as soon as you get on stage, whether you've practiced that <laughs> a million times with him turned up to seven, he always turns up to ten, because I'm the guitarist, and I know I always turn up to ten when nobody's looking, because I want to be the loudest so the girls look at me more. <laughs> I think I think one of the strengths actually was the feedback busting thing. The fact that mm-hmm. it can kill feedback on yeah, every. Yeah, that was actually quite impressive. I did a I did a um, a walkthrough of that. I don't know if I, I might be able to. Find it works, it. did it? It did work. It's got uh, twelve bands of feedback elimination. In fact, it sounded lovely. I put it on the ribbon, and the ribbon's got such a wide frequency response. It was sort of. It was sort of harmonically lovely, and I put it into some reverb, oh. and it all sounded really nice. Just crank it up and up and up, and it pulls it down. I mean, it doesn't solve it completely, but it's a very... I mean, the idea, basically, I think the thing that's sort of missed, and I perhaps missed it initially, I mean, I, did, I think I got it in the review, but what, I, I was struggling for ages to think, what the hell's this for? You know, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. But the idea that you could just kind of auto-trim track, so you put everybody yeah. in, and it automatically just monitors it so that nothing clips hey. ever... You know, that's a cool idea. There's feedback suppression. (laughs) Yes, that's also cool. It can also, there's various dynamic EQ plugins. The the things things that are limiting about it is, as with any piece of advanced technology, you go, yeah, that's great. Can I just, because, you know, I'm going, oh, I've got this fantastic vocal sound, but what I need to do is put one of these DSP modules in. All All the DSP module gang and chains are fixed. So if you choose the wrong one in the first place and get a great yeah. sound and think, right, that's brilliant. Now I just need to bring in a gate or whatever it may be. Tough. You've got to recall an entire oh, new no. strip. But that's probably software. That could probably be fixed in software. That's Sim- not a good Similar thing to your all. mute thing, I guess. It could be, yeah. I mean, it could be. It I mean, could the, be. the other thing that's going to happen is that you're going to buy this and then you're going to set it up beautifully in your little club and then you're going to invite Tara Bush to come and sing there Mm -hmm. and she's going to turn up with a microphone and a string of effect pedals and different routings and things that she needs to plug in to make her sound Mm. and Tara Bush isn't the only person that does that I mean there's that violinist whose name escapes me at the moment who also does everything through strings of guitar effects pedals and stuff and suddenly all of that DSP and stuff is going to become meaningless as soon as somebody has something that's even slightly it's, left field it's a, or slightly it's different. It's all about it's all about the preamps. For me, the whole thing. If the preamps are good, then it's a, a no-brainer. The preamps, the preamps even, do sound quite good. Yeah, I if, they're good as, if they're as good as the Line Six UX Two, which is basically a sixty or seventy quid box, which I used to have, it they sound brilliant. And I tested them on um, on that uh, selfie queuing looping thing to see how flat they were, and they're pretty much flat as well. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, it's an interesting... I suppose it really does raise a question is how far, you know, because basically we're all pretty pedestrian and conservative, you know, even though, you know, we like to adopt new technology and things, as a whole, musicians as a whole generally like to stick with what they know. And so it's a very brave move, isn't it? I mean, and I just wonder how far you can go at a time with something Mm -hmm. like this. He did say without further ado in the video, and I don't think that's ever a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, I think you know, I think you, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's going to, you know, a lot of people might just be like, "Ooh, that is just a step too far." But I don't know. I just get so excited about stuff like that. You see, I think that it's. I it, got excited you know, too. Brave. It's nearly two grand for twenty channels. Well, the yeah. thing is, if it doesn't work, it will all be stacked up in neat little piles in Turnkey. If Turnkey doesn't exist. What about this, though, Nick? As a comparison, though, for just in terms of something, won't it? In, yeah. in, in terms of a value, a value comparison, if you look at like maybe uh, Universal Audio Apollo, the basic model is probably comparable in price. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there we got four preamps, um, and what's it? Another four line ins, or four four preamps, or eight line ins. I think it's got. ADAT on there as well, yeah. but, and it's got the UAD processing, which oh, I know it's really good. But then again, you don't get—you only get like a smattering of plugins at that. That's price. an interesting point. It's probably a—it's a, probably similarly powered. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So yes, I take your point, but I suppose that's not necessarily I mean, geared up for that. But yeah, no, that's an interesting comparison. I'm imagining yeah. this, so Nick, you see, and I think that you know, for me, like the live thing is one thing, but if you had one of them installed in a rehearsal studio, you know, wow how amazing it would be, you know, for yeah. when you're rehearsing. Um, 
amazing. So you're not you a know, rehearsal uh, studio. You're also a recording studio at that yeah, point. But the fact is, bring an SD card. SD card, amazing that is, That's isn't it? That's a really interesting amazing. idea. Yeah, that is an interesting. Amazing. You go to a rehearsal and you can come away with a multi-track. Amazing. I tell you what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, okay, no, I, I take your point. I, I stand, I stand correct. That is something that I hadn't thought of. That is, that is a very interesting idea, actually. Yeah. And you would, you wouldn't have to have an enormous amount of skill as a sound engineer to make it sound good, because you'd just be dragging those little people onto your sound stage. And, it, and well, I mean, and the point is, if you go and rehearse a couple of times first, and you get your sound set up in the first place, then all yeah, you do is, yeah. when you're ready, you stick your SD card in and go right, recall your preset. It's Lovely. a far cry from the Easy. ribbon mic of the 1930s, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> Gosh, um, this topic has lasted longer than I anticipated, actually. Um, I suppose oh, Nick, it could go on, I It swear. could go on, I, but it, it's I'll... a very interesting paradigm. I mean, we've got some more um, sort of groundbreaking paradigms as well, so I suppose uh, to come later. But maybe now this is a good time to do our uh, customary sponsorship slot, which is from Yamaha, Yamaha's World of Apps, who are basically... Um, like to tell you about the applications that they have. I mean, there are a whole bunch of music-related applications, over 20 at the time of this ad, and considerably more since. Uh, there's things for performance and playing, there's arpeggiators, MIDI output, uh, this is the performance play. There's also a synth app as well, which has uh, synth sounds in it too. There's performance and play faders, XY pair to connect to any MIDI instrument. So you've got even more ways of gesture control and just giving yourself this kind of configurable MIDI control. There's edit and control for voice edit, which will work with your uh, Motif XF Mox S90X, S70XS Motif XS and Rack XS. So you can access to all the various performance and voice edit parameters. Lots of ways. Cues and stuff, so you know you've got much more visual control than perhaps just the small LCD screen. Again, performance edit allows you to set up the different performances if you're sequencing or you're running multiple lines or pads or whatever. XY control of that as well, and uh, the setlist organizer, which is another great MIDI-based application, allows you to set up lots of different songs, program changes, and manage it all from one place with maybe notes and photographs. Uh, record cloud audio recorder, lots and lots of different applications from Yamaha. The best way, really, to check out is just go to the iTunes store and search for Yamaha apps. Uh, if you want to find out more, go to uk.yamaha.com. And once again, we thank Yamaha for the continued sponsorship of the show. Um, right, what's next? The next one uh, in the list uh, is New Synth from Electron. This is kind of uh, spicy. Let's play it. They've been teasing us with this for a while. Uh, and it, I, I must admit, I, you know, I was... I sort of... Cu- I called it as soon as I heard it, which is basically... It's going to be analog synth in that same box, which is what we're seeing here. It does look nice. It's got the same sort of octatrack design, the sort of mono machine, drum machine drum kind of uh, setup sequencer. Um, but with four analog voices, I think there's two oscillators per voice plus a noise source, uh, a couple of filters per voice, envelopes, and all sorts of parameters of tweaking or what have you. Um, and these are all sounds made by it. I mean, it's caused that we have loads and loads of uh, comments on this. Uh, you could sort of think of it like a Korg mono poly, but without the poly, it doesn't seem to have a, mono, a, a poly mode, which seems a little bit... I'm sure that's fixable in software, or at least I hope it is. Individual voice outs, built-in effects, uh, video looks nice and sleek, you know, all of those things. Um, and it's a new synth. Which has got to be a good thing. It's uh, eleven forty nine UK, uh, sorry dollars or euros, uh, which seems you know it's the kind of price. Uh, one thing that's sort of come up as a couple of points of this is um, is if you're going to make an analog synth, why not have a load of analog controls? It seems a little bit of a strange thing. I don't know, Gaz. Do you like electron stuff? Have you been exposed to it? It takes it takes a bit of getting used to their, their no, way of working. I haven't actually no, but uh, I mean the. <laughs> The trailer for this, that was quite a gr- well, remarkable trailer. Yeah, like a kind of full-on Hollywood... Yeah, it's like, what, what's this about? Is this about feeding somebody's habit for a Canon 5D and a bit of cinematography? Or is <laughs> yeah. it about a new synth? I think but I know I was, which. Yeah, but then if you listen, I, was the whole soundtrack for that done on it then? Is that, uh, that, I believe I that was the kind of idea. I mean, that's the only <laughs> that's the only link that you could have because there's nothing else about it that was to do with the synth, but yeah. Yeah. Because um, I mean, it definitely sounds good, doesn't it? Um, some uh, who, um, Midi in the chat room says if it was an iPad app, it would be 
$11.99. And, and in some ways, yeah. it, it does, doesn't it? Those things are a bit like apps, but, uh, you know, in, in that it's, you know, you know, it's got its limitations, but then that's quite nice as well. Uh, but it sounds good. It definitely sounds good. But it's, I would it's got. I, I remember um, we bought uh, the Machine Drum uh, when I worked. At, we worked on the first couple of Goldfrat albums. We bought Machine Drum, which I did use quite a lot through a Sherman filter bank because it was it's got some great and interesting drum sounds. Uh, the Mono Machine was another one that was bought because it was like, which was six uh, like six voices, but you could I think yeah. you could play that in poly mode as well and various different voice splits. And that, that and the thing about that was um, we really liked the idea of it, but actually it didn't get used hardly at all because it was it was a little bit abstract in the way that you would program it and what have you. So it just didn't f- immediately spring to hands. Oh, I can do that with this. It was, uh, and I'm just a bit worried that this will have the same sort of uh, vibe. I don't know. Mark, have you used any Electron stuff? No. It, it looked a bit J.L. Cooper Fader Mastery. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I see where you're coming from. It didn't look like, I mean... Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I think synthesizers should have like lots of lots and lots and lots of knobs all over them, so that you can just grab things randomly and sort of experiment. And it didn't look like it had enough of that. It looked like you'd got to get into the sort of the digital aspect mm. of it and assign things to things. It looked like one of those kind of analog synths. And um, I'm not sure I like I, those as much, really. Um, this has got, if I just show you, this is sort got of... got that little panel. window there, haven't there's, Yeah, well, that's the display. There's also, um, there are eight uh, A through J controllers. And if I remember correctly, the way that the machine thing works, when you call up a machine... Yeah. They will access parameters for whatever page, so you can get to eight uh, parameters immediately, and so okay. and they're pre- I think they're pre-assigned. Although I'm, I'm sure you can change them as well. Uh, um, uh, HT in the chat room says that the Octatrack isn't easy, the easiest thing to get the the best out of, and uh, and if that's the testament to that is they've t- issued loads and loads of videos of this is how you do this, and in fact they they did pitch. Would you like to review it? And I said, look, to be honest. I haven't got enough time to learn a completely new system to to to, to, to evaluate it properly. I'm sorry, you know, I just can't. I can't. And I felt a little bit guilty about it because that's kind of what I do. But it would take me weeks to get my head around it. And that's the thing. I mean, that, you need to you need to know what things are and where they are straight away. And that's when you get like something like an ARP twenty six hundred. You look at the front face of it and the entire thing is immediately self-explanatory and you don't need to sit there going like, oh, what's this knob going to do when I press this button? You don't have to do that at all. You just know the frequencies here, the cutoffs here, the noises here, the oscillators here, the sub is here and so on. And you basically, you're constrained by those things, but you can then go on to make, you know, quite a broad palette of sounds with what's essentially quite a simple system. You see, as I soon like as you... you make the system yeah. more complicated, it doesn't mean that you can make more sounds with it, does it? It sometimes slows down the whole process. Yeah, but this is geared creative. around this is geared around performance as well. A lot of this stuff is very much geared around the performance. Yeah, Gaz, go ahead. Just, I, I, I think what Mark's saying is really interesting, and you know, I love the Roland Gaia for that reason. It's not, I know, it's not the greatest synth engine sound-wise, although I do like the sound. You can get loads of great sounds out of it. But the workflow on that, it's got no display on it. But the reason, well, all I was going to mention, I just this is what I'd like to see more of. You can just instantly just press and get an, and just get uh, and just get the uh, initial sound just straight yeah. away. You can just go, just hold down two buttons and it, and it just goes to the initial sound, which is great. But also, there's another button you can press. It goes to manual mode, where the sound suddenly is exactly the same as what all of the controls are on it. Right. So so well, the reason why I want to... Oh, sorry. Well, all, all it was is that I use it. I use that more than I use any other synth, any virtual synth or anything for this, for the reason that you're saying there. Just you know, because you've got yeah. an immediate connection. You've got straight well, away. And I'd like to see more. And I'd love to see... Oh, sorry. I want the Gaia with an analog engine. Mm. Wow. Well, Come I on. mean, interestingly, That's I mean, the, the, the thing that I'm really excited about getting in for review as soon as possible, I've been pestering the uk distributor for weeks and weeks is the studio logic sledge you know that's what i want to get my hands on because that's for the same reason exactly the same paradigm but yeah same paradigm yep um redwalks was saying in the chat room that the display tells you on this what it's doing but those displays never tell you what 
knob you've turned till after you've turned it. And the important thing is that when the knobs are labelled, you know what it's going to do before you touch the knob. I mean, obviously, if you've owned it for a really long time and you've learned what all those things are and you use it day in, day out, then that makes sense, I think. But um, then, then if it's going to be that, then it has to sound way, way better than anything else that's analogue out there. In other words, it has to absolute, absolutely capture me on sound before I go anywhere near it. And then what, why? Why? I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. I'd... That's an interesting point, and I think it's the true, perhaps, of all of the Electron stuff. It requires an investment in time, you know, and that's why possibly Electron users are very evangelistic and very kind of uh, passionate about their instruments because they've, they've invested the time to kind of get the most out of it, and they're very deep. Mm. So, I mean, you get, it, it works two ways. You know, yes, I mean, the Gaia is immediate, but it's not terribly deep, really. I mean, it's about as deep as it can be. Um, considering the, the the voice architecture, whereas I suspect possibly the with this there's more potential for routing and modulation and what have you. I mean, but, I, I am guessing. Okay, but then if there's more potential for routing, modulation, and sound, why did they do that demo they've just done, which makes it sound like every other analog synth on the planet? If you can get things and modulate things with things that nobody's ever modulated anything with ever before, and it makes the sound of like alien spaceships from 2015, <laughs> I want to hear it. I don't, want it. I don't want to wait to do that myself. I want at least somebody to outline, Mark, this thing's going to do this, and you can't do this on any other synth. Okay, great. I want to buy one. Thank you. It's you know. it's, a t- yeah, it's a tough challenge, actually, because people want to hear the now sounds, the contemporary stuff, and the stuff that... Well, yes, but, the, but <laughs> to, to capture the attention. You know, the, ki- the kids want mm. to make the sound of now. So they want to know that if they're buying something like that, it will do that, but presumably yeah. it'll also do the other stuff. Um, mm. You know, I mean, I guess, you know, Dave Smith Instruments is being kind of cited in a lot of instances, but... I think to to be inter- to be to be honest, the thing about the Dave Smith, particularly the one which has got you know which which does have, like the Mofo, which has dedicated knobs on it rather than parameter access, there are familiar there is a familiar topography to it, you know, and that's yeah. the well, thing. Yeah, but that's exactly the same. I mean, somebody sent me a uh, an email the other day and asked me if I wanted to buy uh, a TB three hundred three emulator, new, brand new analog synth that emulates the TB303, and I thought, oh, God, it's just going to be another one of those XOX box things, and do I want to buy this or don't I want to buy this? And I scrolled down, and there's a picture of this thing, and it looks identical to a TB303. And I thought, hang on a minute, I know that layout intimately. I know where everything is, and I actually, if I was going to buy a TB303 emulator, why not buy one that actually, in a silver box, has the same knobs as a 303, has everything that a MIDI 303 would have, and I'm going to be t- instantly familiar with that, and it, I'm going to know kind of, you know, what I can get out of it, and then if I get other things out of it, it will be because I've stretched my imagination. <laughs> so That's an interesting uh, point, yeah. yeah. I want familiarity from a synthesizer, I suppose, is what uh, I'm that, saying. This thing here, this yeah. uh, the Dave Smith Mofo, you know, it's a great sounding monosynth, I don't think anyone would. It's de- just not a scintillating experience. It's all right. That's not in your. That's Mark's cat. I think it's Mark's cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, like, the, but the Mofo, in in a way, you see, is a great example of uh, of th- this one of that convoluted process. You got a computer editor, but mm, well, it's, yeah. it's all right. Yeah, it's yeah. not that great. Well, that's but. I, as we know, hardware, yeah. you know, it does make a lot of Actually, I just wanted to hold this up because I, I finally got this going. This is my uh, Raspberry Pi. It's finally working. Oh, and, great. And what's really cool, I got it connected to this, uh, this, this is like a laptop power supply type uh, power cell, which outputs all different voltages. And it's ah. running off that. Wow. <laughs> and what I've done, I wanted to explain, if you were watching in the, the, the chat room before the show started, you're probably a bit sick of me going on about it. But So the idea is this, it just works really nicely. So I bought, put this in this little case. So it's powered up. It's got an Ethernet cable. I put a, uh, a, a, a thumb drive in it. And the idea is with these, what I want to do is make a couple of these and we, when we're at trade shows or whatever, I can put a load of videos on this thumb drive, plug it in, then there'll be a command line script that just goes, oh, yeah, here's a load of videos. 
I'll just upload them to the see yeah. if they're already on on online, and if they're not, I'll start uploading them. So uh, I'll just leave it on uh, connected to a network cable, and it'll just that's just one use. I mean, there are synthesizers mm. and what have you for it. But uh, I just wanted to let everybody know I did get it working because it was uh, it was something that actually caused me quite a lot of uh, consternation. I, in fact, I emailed the vendor saying I can't get it working; it must be broken, and and then realised that it was me. <laughs> it's the uh, yeah the what the thing that you've got to watch out for is you take when you put the uh, SD card in and you have to format it you've got to change the name of it and I missed that part so I was writing the disk image over and over again to this this card without renaming it properly and once you've renamed it bang you're all good to go which uh, which distro did you use uh, Raspberry the, just the one that comes with it just right right regular one yeah I mean you know we've talked about the Raspberry Pi numerous times now so I still think it's such an exciting tool and uh, Yeah, it could be. I mean, I'm not sure about real-time instruments and why because I don't think it's going to sound all that good, but it just you know, it just worked and that was that was the it thing. It can do some it can do some pretty good number crunching. I think it Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. I think it's Oh, look, I, I I'm going to show you. In fact, this is it running. I, I, for those of you who are into this kind of thing, it's uh here it is. Uh there. <laughs> That's it right there. If I type <laughs> now, if I type top into that, it will show the processes. It's going to be pretty small, but there you go. So it's running. It's uh, using uh, oh, hardly much. Any well, it's not doing anything, so it's not going to do much. But anyway, that's not um, of, of great interest to most people. Yeah, but I, you know, I think as a, as as a, as a sampler, I, you know, I think that's where I, what I'd like to see them as. as yeah, sorry, people are wondering how we got here. You're quite right. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I hijacked that rather, but just because I, so, I was so delighted that I actually managed to get the bloody thing working that uh, I was feeling all kind of righteous about it. Um, there were, I mean, speaking of sort of new paradigms, there are another couple of things. I think we've got, we've got time for the quick look at this um, new production system from Yamaha Stroke, um, and then we, maybe we can do Mark's um, tinleitis. What? <laughs> hey, let me uh, press go on that. What's that? Vid three. Here it comes. Right. Uh, there it goes. This is a new age or new age, perhaps it could be called. This is a professional system solution for audio post-production. It's kind of high-end stuff, but uh, it's a new control surface combined between Yamaha and Steinberg. And what's really, really nice about this, there's a view which comes up shortly, which shows, as in record, this is very cool, they've got this kind of way of showing the audio waveform going part. There we go. It's sort of scrolling up. The screen. I don't know. You can't see it there now. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm hoping it's gonna come in shortly because I. I thought that was quite thrilling. Uh, there's some lovely metering. It does look like a very beautiful thing. Uh, let me see. It's probably coming along a set. Maybe I can scroll forward and we can. Yeah, there we go. There's the waveforms all going past. So that's stuff either playback or record, which yeah. I really like the look of that. That's a really nifty idea. Yeah. Something that could be stolen. <laughs> yeah, by somebody we're gonna, else. We're gonna see that a lot. Sharpish. Yeah. It just looks like this is, um, wow. it, it's pretty, you know, high-end stuff. Uh, I mean, but what's quite interesting is uh, if we go over to, if there's the Yamaha website, and they've got all sorts of components to this. So it's not only the control surface, it's the uh, the software. There's also hardware, audio interfaces, IOs, and flexible modular architecture plus network, what have you. It does look quite interesting. It's not going to be cheap. I mean, I think the base price for this thing starting uh, $18,000. <laughs> so, you know, it's a bit of a different world. But I'm just quite interested to see that Yamaha entering that world. It's kind of quite... Um, quite an, oh, uh, apparently FL Studio has the scrolly waveforms in its mixer, for your information, says oh. Sonic uh, okay. uh, 3054 in the chat room. Oh, I like the sound of that. That's gonna yeah. be I was just going to say, it actually yeah. looks physically, in terms of the colours they've used on the desk and everything, not dissimilar to FL Studio at all, actually. Huh. Like the, the blacks. I mean, if those, if that colour in the video is an accurate representation of the physical colour of the hardware, then those slightly greyed, bluey greyy blacks are the. Wow, it is very much a high-end yeah. stuff. Uh, in fact, HT in the chat room says the price of a BMW S1000R. He'd rather have the motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm guessing, Mark, you might be feeling the same kind of uh, affinity with the bike rather than the desk. But yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, just. Uh, yeah, it's whether or not I need to need that to make music, and personally, I don't. And if I was recording, no, uh, a band, I would probably go 
I hate to say it because they annoy the living daylights out of me, but I would go with DigiDesign's Pro Tools because it's pretty much an industry standard and it would be hard not to go with it if you were recording a band. But uh, Yeah, well, know. that's so, true. I mean, maybe... Uh, I, I mean, love, the, uh, so this I love is a, those little this, things going up there. Yeah, that does look really yeah, cool, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, what <laughs> is easily it? I mean, pleased. Is, is it locked in with Nuendo or is it its own... That's a very uh, good question. Software. I don't have that information immediately to hand. Um, right, let right. me have a look. It's uh, New Arch IO. It's uh, New Endo Six. Yes, I believe yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, with an all-new mixer window. It's got yeah. So it's a New Endo thing. So yeah, that's so, very. That, yeah. That's kind of geared around. Um, yeah. Post isn't well, it? And, and this is what. Yeah. This is what it is exactly. That's what I was just figuring out. So that particular world of post, and there is a real New Endo. New Endo is big in that world. So I think yeah. you know, there's a definite. So they know they've got um, a market for it. Or its uh, competitors are going to be like Calrec, the Calrec. Well, and and Digi. Digi, yeah, definitely Digi. But I mean, that's the thing I found in that world. Calrec desks. There's a real. I've got the horrible colours in them, like teal and magenta. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those words! It's just saying those words is doing something. (laughs) In fact, I think um, yeah, teal. Yellow. There's a teal Furby. The... Just out of it, I've just I just picked one up from the post office today for a Christmas present. So I hope my daughter doesn't listen to this postcard, this podcast, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure she won't be. No, probably not. It's <laughs> <laughs> safe to say. Uh, I'm just kind of funky to them from time to time, though, which is a little disconcerting. <laughs> but she's 17. So... I, have, wow. I have to I have to say, Nick. Uh, recently, I've just gone back and done a project in Cubase, which I haven't worked with. I've used Cubase for such a long time, big since the early 90s, and I pretty much abandoned it a few years ago uh, because of a few things, uh, largely in protest to the to the dongle. I think I've talked about this before. Yeah, well, they did kind of have a... They had a black phase. I mean, it looks to me now like Cubase and Steinberg are really... You know, they, you can see there's a, a happening kind of vibrant development team on it. There are things happening in... You know, there's Cubase yeah. 7, which has just come out. It's got lots of Cubase interesting 7. features. I mean, that there's some... You know, there's the, the chord stuff. I mean, it all yeah. it's all becoming... What's what's interesting about this is there seems to be this kind of um, ebb and flow between who's putting resources into doors and who's kind of cutting yeah. edge, and uh, and Cubase seems to be on a bit of a roll at the moment with the Cubase Seven, which is uh, yes. coming out imminently. Well, how, how many iterations of Cubase have been out since Logic has been? On oh Vision God, Night? yeah. Well, I was looking at this actually, uh, and this is the one thing that you know when we uh, this this was sort of another topic, but it, it kind of it molds into it the fact that you know we've got Cubase Seven coming out. It hasn't been long since Cubase Six was out, really. Probably no. a year, possibly maybe a bit longer and uh, and i was just thinking what's happened to logic and i know so many people who 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 opted for logic and are now uh, kind of you know just orphan in fact i looked actually logic pro uh, if i get it here uh, i checked on the app store um and it's it's up to version 9.18 and uh, <laughs> this update addresses all overall stability and performance issues including fishes in it fixes an issue that caused airplay resolve performance there's just no I did new upgrade. F- I upgraded from logic pro 8 to logic pro 9 and i have to say that it really wasn't um very much in it yeah. in terms of like i didn't get anything particularly just a difference yeah just an unfamiliar screen set but because they've stayed put things have moved on Massive. Studio, yeah. Studio One is a good example, and uh, one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of Reaper is because Reaper can just kind of just it can it can either lead or it can follow very quickly. Uh, for instance, dropping VSTs onto a clip. When you start work like that, when you, when you get used to using VSTs in that manner, then going to anything that hasn't got that seems like a backward step. It's like one of those kind of things that everything needs to do. Once someone started doing it. They all need to do it. If right. they don't, I, I know it does. So you can create... just run DSP on a clip. You can just because I just, you told you me just, to try it, you, and you I can just get drag. You can just drag a plugin, and you can just drop it on a clip. There, there uh, are so there are other ones that Studio will do. One, yeah, Studio One does it. You see, and so does uh, sound. Is it Soundscape? So uh, sorry. Samplitude. Samplitude. Samplitude, I think, was the first to do that. And I think they did it years and years ago. And it was one of their big kind of, one of their special things. Yeah, no, great idea. Uh, But, you know, like it's taken Pro Tools to version 10 to come up, you know, to get on board with Clip Game. You know, that's something that Nuendo had from version 1. And, uh, you know, it's one of these things, uh, certain things, once you get into using them, if they don't have it, it's really difficult to sort of, you know, 
to go back yeah. to. And and for me, logic is just this creaky, old, annoying, bloated. I, I must admit, I just do not boot it anymore. Text. I just oh, I just won't boot anymore. It, 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 uh, and it's a I'm, shame I'm because quite I still happy with it. I just use it, but I'm just use it for throwing guitar lines down and then drop you know, drum beats in and drag things around and make a little arrangement and bosh, I'm done, you know. Yeah, well, I, I think that's fine. I'm funny. aiming to make my music use... simpler and simpler, so... I, Ableton Live is what I use for that kind of purpose, and, it's, and it's, it's so many steps less convoluted than Logic, you know. Uh, and I think, oh, okay. yeah... So, I mean, sorry, I, I do rant on against Logic, and, I mean, Logic does have some really good functions, but it's just very complex, and it, it takes a lot of effort to learn how to use it yeah um, i suppose again you know i evangelized you know and the people who who did take the effort yeah. well maybe that's where my investment lies in the fact that yeah. i have taken a lot of effort to learn how to use i mean i find it much easier to root and root things in logic and set up uh, mix you know virtual mixes in logic and root really? things around and all that sort of stuff and the midi stuff i found yeah, really I do too. easy to root yeah. around in there but only because i I've been using Logic since version one, so I, yeah. you know, when it came out, I read the manual cover to cover and learned how the environment works. And that seems to be most people's problem. They just don't get what the environment's about and how easy it is to chain stuff together and and do all that MIDI processing stuff. And that doesn't exist in a lot of other things in the way that it exists in Logic. And I, I well, yes, that's true. Can't I mean, but do you, without that, so. you but, well, uh, interesting. People are also asking about Bitwig in the studio because that will have all of this transformational stuff. And, and from what I've seen of the uh, the beta, um, you know, it looked great. But I, I just want to stress the time. Uh, the, the 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 killer question with that was: Have you started the optimization process? And the answer then was no. And optimization, mm. you know, you build this massively inefficient, huge, fully featured thing, mm. and then Bitwig people then have to turn it into a commercially viable thing that will run on a variety of platforms and you know won't get in you know needs to, and will be optimized and the optimization is an extremely as most software developers will tell you if dave was here he would say the optimization mm. phase of any project is the mm. most painful and can have the most wide-reaching effects on the final result of anything so that's yeah. kind of where I think they this are this is one of the things that reaper has always kind of been very good at it they optimize it incredibly quickly and they can, you know, they can respond to things incredibly quickly. Well, uh, once so that, yeah, I suppose once they've built the sort of core engine, bolt, you know, that's optimized and that's fine. It's just, the yeah. Sort of, yeah it's, that's because it's almost open source as well. And they've got an infinite team of people working on various yeah. different aspects of it, haven't they? It's oh, not yeah. like they've got a small software development team. They've got like loads of people working, <laughs> on it, haven't they? Well, they've got they've got a very enthusiastic uh, yeah. uh, volunteer sort of fans really in the yeah um, but uh, yeah uh, some uh, synth beast is asking if I'm a big time Ableton Live user I am I am but I'm also a Reaper big Reaper fan as well but I I I think in my case I use different software for different things I've got Cubase. And, and what I was saying, <laughs> while we kind of went way off track, and I was saying about Cubase, that I'd done a project on Cubase recently, and it was Cubase version 6.5. And I have to say that the visuals of 6.5 is very nice. It's very clear. It's very bright. It's very crisp. It's a really... Uh, and I found it like a, like a pleasing place to work. Uh, and you go so back because to they've copied FL Studio, though. It, it might be, but go back to older ones, and there's kind of different shades. I know you can customize these things, but like I think they've changed just, all that. <laughs> they've changed it, have they? Um, I think they've changed, but it looks like it's quite clear they've yeah. changed. They've changed the uh, work, the mixer window. They've changed a number of things here. They've got channel strips. They've got all sorts of stuff going. I mean, there's a big list of of what they've done um, right here, but it does look very complete to it a lot of, in a lot of ways i, I you know I, i've i've not used cubase since well since it was on the atari so i mean that's a an enormous um admission of well that's a many many years using year. it on the pc about version 3.7 or something <laughs> but that was only cuz logic went through this terrible phase of not being able to communicate with the hardware properly and i i could only record three tracks but i guess that's cuz apple went through a phase of switching processors and 
Yeah, maybe everything so. went backwards for a while, didn't it? So yeah, I just uh, when I do have a Steinberg Cubase dongle somewhere. When will they? When will they just give up on the bl- the blimmin' dongle? Though you know, it's such. <laughs> yeah, a, I, well, yeah, I, I think so I think I'm gonna them. I'm gonna pull I'm gonna pull um, pull things together here a little bit before we get too far off track with the with the dongle <laughs> side of things. Uh, th- there is another topic, and I think uh, it's only fair that uh, I. Um, I, I let Mark perhaps introduce this one. I mean, this what? is this is your tinnitus. Um, well, well, I'll play your initial thing. I mean, basically, um, Mark, d- you discovered that you had uh, certain um, frequencies of of tinnitus, right? I have, yeah. You have, right? Well, I'm going to try and play this. Let me see. This this probably won't um, uh, work on Skype. But what's interesting? That solid waveform there. You've put very high levels of the two frequencies that that are troubling yeah. you in your ears. And I played it, and I was kind of. I, it was really interesting how it how it affects you. Very with me. I heard well, it. I have to do it with headphones on. Otherwise, yeah, I've got headphones on. I'm going to play it now. See what happens. So as a result, I can hear it really loudly straight away. And Ooh. And while that's not in a significant area when it comes to listening to speech, I don't have any problems in that area. Or to hearing the overall balance of instruments in a mix, or to hearing the overall balance of sounds, and I'm very able to pick out individual sounds in a space, and I can quite often hear things other people don't hear. But at nearly 50 years old, what's happened is the high frequencies have started to tail off. But the most significant part of the hearing damage or hearing loss is that I experience very loud tinnitus. So I, I, I'm gonna have to. That's making me feel really uncomfortable. Actually, that. Well, surprise! I can sort of hear, I, but because I've got this headset here, and I've got that pressed to my ear. I couldn't hear it, and then when I took it off, I could hear it. Um, if I'm, and if I listen with headphones on and I listen to that recording, if I put the headphones on one way round, I can hear it, and if I put them on the other way round, I can't hear it. It's ever so strange. So you've got the, slightly different tinnitus in each ear, right? Yeah, and the doctor said that the reason why I'm hearing tinnitus is because, and he seemed surprised that I understood this, but... Uh, inside your brain, your brain tries to compensate for uh, quiet things by compressing them and turning them up. So what's basically happened is that those two frequencies, and they're different, one frequency in each ear has died completely. So my ability to hear those frequencies is gone. And it's not a problem with my eardrum. My eardrum's in perfect condition. It's not a problem with any dirt or anything in my ear canal. It's actually that thing behind the eardrum. I think it's called the cochlea. Yeah. Just has lost the ability to hear that frequency completely. And I will never hear that again in my life. But because my brain thinks, hang on, I should be hearing that, it takes that frequency and it turns it up. So I've permanently got that whistle at, a, at about 12K uh, in, in my hearing. So when I go to sleep at night... When I'm lying in bed in silence, I'm just hearing really loud. Ah, oh, interesting. <coughs> and I... then in my le- my left ear, I seem to have lost the ability to hear really high frequencies in my left ear over a certain frequency. But but it is strange in that when I um, when when I try to match the level of those to the levels that I was hearing in my head, when I do it one way round. I can't hear it at all, and when I do it the other way, because I can't get it any louder than the actual tinnitus, but when I do it the other way round, I can actually hear them and go, oh, Jesus, that's actually really loud. Yeah, so I, I, well, the thing I, found, the thing I found while listening to that was that uh, I heard it really loudly for a moment, and then it just dies back, and your, your, your brain, oh, your brain uh, masks it. Down again, yeah. So it works in reverse, effectively. It applies an incredibly tight notch filter to that particular frequency. I'm aware of a really high pressure level, and that's the thing I find with um, uh, that I don't like about uh, that noise cancelling headphones, those sort of things, because oh, the yeah. overall volume of stuff going into your ears is enormous to compensate from the outside. Although you can't, you're not aware of it. I, I'm aware of this kind of pushing against the eardrums, and I, I, find yeah. that I don't like them at all for that very reason. And uh, 
And yeah. It's, it's the same with those teenager deterrents as well, because my son has a yeah. terrible time without Aldi, outside Aldi. They've yeah. got these two things called mosquito hanging oh, yeah. on the wall out there. And they're really bloody loud, because I tried recording it, slowed it down yeah. an octave, and then I'm like, wow, hang on a minute, that is really, like, scary loud, like 130 dB or something. And he stands there going, ow, ow, ow. And I'm like yeah. going, what? And I can't hear it, but I can feel it. Oh, yeah, that's awful. I don't know whether they have this in the States, but the, what weird. they do is they basically put these kind of really loud, high-frequency-emitting sort of transducers or whatever they are, and they power this stuff out in the vicinity of shopping malls and places where teenagers hang about. And the, the, yeah. the thinking being that if you're over... I don't know, 21 or something, your hearing is deteriorated enough to shelve off that incredibly painfully loud um, amount of frequency. But it's just, it seems like such a massively flawed and in, inhuman I think thing to do. I, 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 there's, a, there's a playground. There's a, there's a football field just up the road from here. It belongs to a school. And they don't want people using it at night. So they put these things, they put these big fences up and then there's these things pointing... Uh, and it, and it looks like, um, you know, stuff from a prison camp or something. These kind of big poles and these big devices. And, and they've got sensors. So if anyone goes in there, then it starts, you know, this, this frequency just to kind of... Um, but I'm kind of thinking, what's going on? This is a play, this playing field, you know, it's a playing field. If, if kids want to get in there and, and play, <laughs> let them. Don't, yeah, you know, it's I, interesting, I don't isn't it? I wonder, what's, I wonder if they'll ever be... This is going a, a little bit sort of tangentially. But I wonder if we're going to end in, in, in a situation where you know, living it or being exposed to this, if you work in one of those places and you're yeah. exposed to this stuff and your hearing gets affected, I mean... Well, yeah. I, I should finish with that story. They're not there anymore. My friend Chris Powell, he, who lives, you know, reasonably near there, he can see, he can see the football field from his, from his house, but he's up a hill. It was really... He could hear it. He could open his window and he could hear it from his house. And he's 51. <laughs> you know. Wow. So, uh, so he wrote letters and, and some other people complained and yeah, they've turned them off. So yeah, well, that's kind of cool. Good. Mm. Don't like that sort of thing. That's just, that oh. seems wrong. Oh. Seems I mean, cool. in terms of, I, they did an audiogram as well, going back to my ears. So in terms of my audiogram, my hearing's really, really good. I don't have any significant hearing loss. I just have this whistle and it's just. So, I mean, I guess it doesn't affect my ability to mix anything that doesn't have that one specific frequency in it, and it's slightly annoying when I go to sleep. But And I've always worn ear plugs and ear muffs and really protected my hearing. So it's just, I, mean, I just wonder about everyone else in the music industry and how they are or where they're at. With we're it. all screwed. <laughs> I mean, we're... What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't have symbols in any of my mixes. I can't be trusted with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, oh, yeah. I, 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 just thought, I just thought of an idea. Genetically modified little kind of little worms that you put in your ear. They go down and they live on earwax. So they eat all the earwax and they, and they lay little eggs. And the little eggs then act as kind of little sound. Filters. Filters. <laughs> yeah. What could possibly go wrong? I don't have any earwax, though. That's the first thing he said to me. Because I was thinking, I'm going to go to an audiologist, I'm going to go in there, he's going to say, oh, Mr. Tywarton, or Mr. Tinley, your ears are completely blocked up with earwax. If we just clean this all out, you'll be able to hear perfectly. And he looked in my ears and he said, "There's no. I, I've had ear infections in the past. So he said, well, if you had an ear infection in the past, I'm pleased to tell you that it's healed perfectly. There's no scarring on the eardrum. Your eardrums are perfectly clean. There's nothing going on in there that could be causing this problem. And I was like, damn, because if, you know, that could have been the solution. At the moment, I'm taking something called uh, ginkgo biloba, which is like an African it's a tree, herb, isn't it? a bit like, you yeah. know, like doing masses of cocaine for breakfast. <laughs> it's supposed to aid your memory, actually. It's supposed to be good for yeah. thinking. It's, it's supposed to be good for ADHD, and I have been diagnosed with ADHD in the past, and I have to say it isn't working for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's still all over the place. <laughs> well, uh, it, I mean, I'm sorry to hear that you have tinnitus. 
Um, and but the fact that it's not affecting too much, but it's worth you know. I mean, the thing is, is it, it really is worth protecting you. I mean, particularly with things like in ear buds and all this kind of thing, it's very easy to yeah to overexpose yourself to it. I mean, I still kind of go past people and hear this music blasting out of their ears and just think, oh, yeah, man, just be careful, mate. You know, uh, when I did the opera in Paris and we had like a uh, we had these really state of the art um, in ear monitors fitted and yeah. um, and they could carry out little tests on your ears to kind of you know they, they measure the hairs and, and they can work out the frequency response of your ears so these are perfectly they're brilliant they're called Westone uh, um, but anyway the fit the fit was so good and the, the drivers were so so good you only needed like a, about a third or maybe yeah. half would be absolute would be fine it'd be brilliant and i was kind of thinking wow you know so if, if i'd love to have some of them and just wear them all the time you know because uh, they protect your ears instead of real life instead of real life <laughs> <laughs> but uh but you know it, when we go out go out for a little walk you know and by a road or whatever and the, the ah westone cool yeah see that's these yeah. my in-ear monitors are western and i've got loads of little ah. different uh ah, little bungs that you can stick in the side of them to change the bass response and everything did you have those uh no no these these ones though uh, and yeah i didn't get to keep them. Quite they're, old. they're over a thousand they're over a thousand pounds a set and not including getting your ears done as well and oh there's five five drivers in them five drivers oh no per, they're, per, mine have only yeah. got two drivers in mine are yeah. t- probably about eight nine ten yeah i was no. going to ask actually um um ht in the chat room says uh, <laughs> he's got a west tone guitar is it the same company because i remember <laughs> no, west I tone, we had a no, west tone bass no. yeah <laughs> it's west tone laboratories in um is it belgium is it or Oh, I don't know. They're in Europe. Uh, you see West them in um, you you see them in uh, uh, trade shows. They come and sort of say, "Yeah, come and see how crap your well, headphones are." I, I have to say, I have to say, they're the. It's, not only are they the best sounding headphones I've ever heard, it was like the best sounding playback I've ever heard. You know, of really? anything. Yeah, amazing. They are good. So, I mean, I I, I got yeah. mine because um, Duran Duran decided they were going to do everything without monitors. And they said, we're going to scrap all of the monitors from the show and then uh, the only people that need to be able to hear it is front of house and the guy doing, doing the monitors. And I went, no, 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 that's not going to work because if I'm running your backing tracks, I need to be able to hear what you guys are doing because I can't stand at the back of the stage and just take hand signals. You're going to have to, I'm going to have to hear what's going on. So I persuaded them that I needed to be fitted with um, you know, the ear moulds and to have ear... You, you need to try this trick, guys, next time you're working with someone that's doing this. So if I can't hear it, I'm not going to be able to work with you. And then, and basically I got mine that way, which was rather nice, actually. Yeah. So I've no idea how much they cost, but they are very good. Well, I think, in my case, I think they're keeping it all together just in case there's future in the show. So fingers crossed. Oh, there. yeah, well, that would be nice. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, just one thing on there, just... Um, about the in-ear thing, that was a good experience for me doing that show because, like like Mark Almond, for instance, he hated it. And in the end, we had to sort of put a speaker on stage just for him because he wouldn't, um, he just really... He, he it's different for singers, though, isn't it? Because you yeah, get a mechanical feedback yeah. thing, which is and a bit he, odd. And he just found it very disconcerting and he really, really didn't like it one bit. Now, I know other people who are singers absolutely swear by it, absolutely love it. So just thought thought it was quite interesting, really. But um, uh, but we had a couple of people doing the headphone monitor mixes and, you know, it's these things, you know, if they put the wrong signal in, that's that job becomes it just the level of responsibility just shoots up because, you know, you've got. However really many hundreds quite. of single signals going on, and you know it, you've got, and there's a lot of people on in ears as well in that show. So there was a lot of signals flying around. So it was it was interesting, and it and it wasn't without problems. But uh, I think ultimately, I I thought it was amazing. The way to go. As yeah. your head in the chat room says, uh, we'll soon have an optical jack in our skull and don't need airwaves to hear. <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll probably get to the point where there's like a little patch, a transducer patch, like a like a kicker. I'm sure I read somewhere. I'm sure I read somewhere in New Scientist that they discovered that there's a light channel in the ear, and that something that something doesn't connect up in the ear, and that they've discovered that 
how the sound gets from one part of the ear to the brain is through like a little tiny short light channel. Great. And I thought that was quite interesting because that means you could just like cut the ear off and put one of those optical cables straight in. <laughs> Why not? Maybe I could get an adapter for my optical port on the Mac and just go straight in. You could become the Van Gogh of, um, of oh, I like Sonic of statism. I, I don't like the sound of that. That sounds really grim. But uh, yeah. Well, uh, after that sort of <laughs> a, a bit of rambling, I think it's probably time to uh, say goodbye. I know uh, I've got to get back home. It's been raining vigorously here all day, and uh, I've, got to go and I've got to cover things up a little bit. Uh, as I said in the, uh, uh, the pre-show, uh, if I go to my... There's my um, other camera, which is on a pan team zip. There it is. That's not a sick oh, bowl. No. That is actually the bowl for... Uh, I think I can zoom in a bit further. Look at that. That's the <laughs> bowl where the water leaked. And where that bowl was, uh, there was a table with my laptop on it. And it got oh, a no. Bit, it's all right, I think, but uh, I came in and the fan was going rather fast and it had a few splashes of water on it, so I, um, I decided to... <laughs> I've turned it off and have kept it, uh, kept it tipped upside down so that the, any, anything can, can pour out of it. But, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it off for a little while. Hey, we'll have to see. So, folks, thank you very much for watching. Thank you, everybody in the chat room, for joining us um, once again. I'm sorry we didn't have a live show last week, and we will be back. Uh, normal services resumed. Uh, and uh, hopefully I'll have some more interesting, exciting things to say about the uh, my Raspberry Pi for the next <laughs> episode, perhaps. Or perhaps none of you want to care or are interested at all. But I want to say thank I, you very much to uh, Gaz Williams, uh, songsurgeon.co.uk. Uh, yeah. I know I've got his Twitter here, at Gold, as gold star as well. Thanks for joining I, us. I, I think everyone who listens should buy a, a Raspberry Pi, and we should create a huge mesh network. I think that would be amazing. An alternate, an alternative internet. Interesting idea. Pi. Yeah, that's that's my ambition now. Is actually to try and hey, create. Nick, a mesh, can you switch a, off these, le- these the high frequency tones now? You seem to have less than one. I haven't actually, but uh, I'm sorry about. <laughs> that. I just damaged everybody's ears. Mark Tinley. Also, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, what? 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 Hey, what? Uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, thanks for sharing your uh, tin litus with us. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'll never work as a sound engineer ever again now, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. No, I'm sure it's uh, not true. Um, anyway, thanks very much. Uh, that was Sonic Talk number 292. Um, thank you very much indeed. <laughs>